Mindfulness Mode 319. Our brains and minds and activities are all over the place where the turtle's going step, 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 step. You're listening to Mindfulness Mode, and I'm your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Thanks for joining again today, everybody. Thanks for joining us, Mindful Tribe. I always love hearing from you, as you know, and thank you for your emails you sent me, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. Now, last time, I mentioned I was a little bit stressed out. I had some anxiety and I'm going to tell you exactly what this is about and it has to do with social media. I feel like I'm not doing a good job of social media. I feel like I need help in social media and I thought to myself since last time I thought you know what some of my Mindful Tribe listeners are probably social media experts. Some of them probably enjoy social media so much and there's likely someone listening that is probably thinking, hey, Bruce, I could help you out. I could give you a hand with social media. And if you're one of those people, send me an email, will you? Tell me what you can do to help me. Tell me what it would involve. You know, like there are some areas I really feel confident in. I feel, uh, you know, I enjoy it. I love interviewing guests. I'm happy to, to uh, you know, I'm happy to work with that recording and edit it and I'm happy to put it all together but when it comes to social media that's not what I feel is my strong point I would love it if it was but you could help me if you're sitting out there thinking yeah I could I could offer some assistance I could help and uh, I would just love that and I know that some of the most successful people that's what that's what they do is, is reach out for help. And I've reached out for help in lots of areas and received it. So I'm asking you, Mindful Tribe, if you could give me a hand with this. So I would appreciate it so much if you would email me, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com and tell me how you can help me with social media surrounding my podcast. Today, we are going to be talking with A friend of mine named Michael Levitt, he's from Toronto, so close to where I am. I'm about two hours from Toronto here in London, Ontario, and he's an expert at boundaries. Michael has a podcast called Breakfast Leadership. He's also a trainer. He's created programs on the themes of bullying. Sit back today and relax and enjoy my chat with Michael Levitt. Hey, Michael, what's up today? Hey, Bruce, glad to be on the show and glad to be able to talk to your audience about uh, the importance of boundaries uh, to have the life that you are designed to have. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking about this. I just want to share with Mindful Tribe, Michael, a little bit about yourself. Michael Levitt, like I said, is all about boundaries. He's the founder of breakfastleadership.com, where he shares his expertise on boundaries with other leaders. Michael also works in the healthcare field and has experienced firsthand how important it is to have a grip on boundaries in life and death situations, as well as daily living. Michael is trained in crisis intervention from the Canadian Training Institute, and he's recognized as a healthcare leader 
holding Advanced Healthcare System Leadership Certificate from the Rotman School of Management in Toronto. It's one of the highly ranked business schools in the world. And Michael also shares his knowledge of boundaries on his podcast called Breakfast Leadership, which I encourage you to check out. So, Michael, we're talking about boundaries, but we're talking about mindfulness today. So what does mindfulness mean to you? Mindfulness to me has always meant the ability to separate yourself from all of the noise in your life, uh, the commitments, the stress, um, the challenges that you're facing, um, news, just everything, and really connect with yourself to really understand what you're feeling, how you're feeling, um, and be able to acknowledge it and name it. Uh, Too often we get into modes where we are really stressed, potentially burned out, uh, and just overwhelmed with the, the commitments that life throws at us. So it's a way to basically hit the pause button on the world and really focus on the true world that matters is in the, in the world of you and how you're feeling and how you are seeing things and how you're going through your daily life. Well, you really shared a lot of that in your book, 369 days, how to survive a year of worst case scenarios. And wow, you really had a rough year that year, that's for sure. And you shared it in there and how you got through it. What prompted you to write the book, Michael? Well, after, and real quick, you know, for those that aren't familiar with the book, in 2009 and 10, I had 369 days where I had a heart attack, I lost my job, uh, my car was repossessed and my home was foreclosed. Uh, I often joke with people, if I had a dog, that probably would have been taken away too. It's a great country song, so if anybody wants to write a song for me, they can keep all the royalties. I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to promote it. What Going through that period of time um, and how I was able to survive from it, and quite frankly, and people get really puzzled when I say this, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I was on a path of destruction. Um, I didn't have any boundaries in my life. I was too busy focused on building up a healthcare organization. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was separating myself from activities, friends, family, and not eating well, you name it. Everything you're not supposed to do, I was doing. And when I had that heart attack and I was laying in a hospital bed for a week in Windsor, Ontario, I had the opportunity to say, okay, I don't ever want to go through this again. So I'm going to have to redesign myself. How do I do that? And the first thing I did, and when this was actually really smart of me, I didn't think it was necessarily entertaining at the time, but during that week, there was no television in my room. Uh, There was no outside inputs. The only thing that I knew was going on in the real world is when family would tell me if something was going on, or when the Windsor Spitfires won the Memorial Cup because they were playing there and I heard all the horns playing. So I'm like, oh, they they must've won the cup. So that was, I isolated myself. And literally you're laying in a bed for nearly a week. Gives you some opportunity to really start reflecting on things. And I didn't beat myself up. I wasn't judgmental about what had happened, surprisingly, uh, because Previously, I probably would have, and I would have stressed more, but I I knew really quickly that, okay, I just had a heart attack, and I survived it. And 
even when the cardiologist asked me why I was still there, I told him, well, you haven't put the, the stents in my artery yet. He said, no, the type of heart attack you had, you should not have survived. So that, again, that's one of those, I am alive and there's a reason for this. So let's just take this time and pause and reflect and really start looking at decisions. And again, without being judgmental to myself, figure out what do I need to do differently? Because I don't want this to happen again. Well, you know, it came across in your book that you had this, yes, you had challenges, but you had this rock solid determination that you just kind of kept consistently moving forward because, you know, you, you got out of the hospital, you went back to work and pow, in no time at all, you were, you didn't have a job. You were fired from your job. And then you were like looking around for a job and that seemed frustrating, but the frustration didn't come across. You just kept looking and looking and looking. And then eventually you got yourself a job and then you needed to work, to move to Toronto. And then you just did that, even though it seemed difficult, it took a while, but you just seem to have that steadfastness yep. to just constantly move forward without the emotion getting in the way that seems to pull so many of us back. What, what do you attribute that to? I think there's a couple reasons. I, I think part of it was just my upbringing. My parents, very strong and supportive, worked very hard um, to provide for my brother and I. My dad uh, worked for General Motors and was always on the cusp of getting laid off. Um, and so I, I, he had that work mentality, and as did my mother. Uh, she you know, worked part-time jobs and, and was able to provide and neither my brother and I ever had this sensation that we would go without. Um, so I grew up with a, just a strong work ethic. Um, my background, uh, you know, it, I'm originally from the Detroit area. And Detroit, as we all know, is a city that has had its hard times, uh, but is now rebounding. So there's, they refer to it as the spirit of Detroit. And I, 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 I take that uh, very close to heart on this I don't want to say fighter mentality, but of, okay, I got knocked down. I'm going to get back up and, and just you know, really push through this and be driven and know that, that I'm going to come out of this. I may not know what the outcome is going to be, but I am going to have uh, a big active part on being able to get through these circumstances and do what I need to do. So I and keep it, and you hit it right on the head with the emotion side. It's very difficult to keep emotions out. You know, I had a heart attack and then I went back and lost my job and then was looking for jobs and was coming up second place all the time. And, you know, reminder, this was 2009, 2010. We were still dealing with an economic recession in the States for sure. And, you know, in Ontario, where, where I'm at, was definitely feeling it, the Windsor area especially. Uh, so the odds were stacked against me, uh, but I didn't let that get in the way. It's like, I'm going to find something. And I did. Uh, what Toronto wasn't my choice. I didn't really want to move here. I'm thankful that I did. It's created a lot of great opportunities for me, and my career has absolutely flourished since I've been here. Um, I don't care for the cold, but hey, uh, it's 37 degrees Fahrenheit in Tampa as we're recording this, so um, cold is everywhere. Uh, but it really helped me get through and just understanding, okay, just take a step, um, get through this, 
uh, don't beat yourself up. And I, you know, I'll be honest, I would, you know, there were days where I was frustrated and upset, but I knew that that wasn't going to help me get forward. So well, one, one of the things you talked about was moving to Toronto and then you ended up with a garage full of belongings that stayed in that garage for so long because you you talked about, you know, hey, you know, you really need to scale back, but you yeah. hadn't quite done it yet. And mm-hmm. I know now you talk about this. You're doing a series on your podcast called 30 Days of Boundaries and you mm-hmm. talk about purging and mm-hmm. clearing your closet. How is that important when it comes to mindfulness? Uh, clutter really is a problem for a lot of people and it, it from a cost standpoint if you have a lot of things then you need to have a bigger house or a bigger apartment you're paying more per month whether it's a mortgage or rent for a larger space to store stuff that quite frankly you're not using um, from my earliest days uh, in my childhood I always was organized and tidy and um, not to not to go too deep into it but you know George Carlin's a place for my stuff kind of resonates for me because I've always said for me I know where my things are so I don't have to think about where they are I don't think about where my keys are where my coat is and I don't have to wade through 40 coats to say, okay, what coat do I want to wear today? Well, I have a couple coats. I have a spring coat and I have a winter coat um, and this hoodie that I'm wearing. Uh, you know, I keep it simple. And I, for things and items uh, from a mindfulness standpoint, it comes down to, is this thing serving me? Do I find joy in having it? I'm not saying for people not to have a big screen television or a nice car or a nice coat or nice clothes. If it makes you feel good and it allows you to really focus into your creativity and do your job or whatever you do for life really well, then by all means, do it. Uh, I'm not saying be a minimalist. I used to say that that was the thing to go, but now I'm more of um, kind of an essentialist. The things in my life are essential for me to be able to do the things I do. And I find great joy in having that. And it gives me a freedom um, and a calmness to say, I don't have to put away a lot of things because I don't have a lot of things anymore. I've donated a ton of that stuff. We've not only donated stuff, but you've also, it seems like you give even more because I notice on your podcast, you're always giving, giving, giving mm-hmm. different kinds of tips and advice and information. Mm-hmm. What made you to des- decide to start Breakfast Leadership? I saw way too many of my colleagues, both in the healthcare sector or in leadership in general and in life using a phrase in my book, burning the candle at three ends. And what I mean by that is you're giving your all from beginning to end, but you're also burning yourself internally. And eventually you're going to just burn yourself out completely and you could have your own year worst case scenarios. So I thought I have lessons that I need to share. I've got tips that I've picked up along the last eight years or so of how to go through my life Um, to streamline how I live my life, to focus on two or three things a day, um, streamline my clothes, what I wear. You know, I I totally stole that from Steve Jobs and Zuckerberg. Um, Yeah, my wardrobe is boring, but guess what? I don't have to think about it for half an hour. What am I going to wear today? So, yeah, I'm going to grab the shirt, 
slacks, shoes, you know, all that good stuff. I don't have to think about that. And when you're in a leadership position, you shouldn't have to think about the low lying fruit items. Those things should be taken care of themselves because as a leader and, or as a human being, it's amazing how many decisions we have to make on a daily basis. We don't think about it. We're, many of us are on autopilot, so we don't think about it, um, but we do. So we need to automate and streamline as many things as possible. So I launched Breakfast Leadership because I wanted to be able to share with other leaders my approach on how to streamline things so they can actually accomplish more by doing less and go to their child's soccer game, go to their band performance, and not have to be on their smartphone working. When you're there, be there. You know, put the phone away um, and enjoy your child because you know my oldest daughter uh, turns 20 this year. Or excuse me, mm-hmm. 19. 19. Um, that's right. She's she's counting down the days for some reason. I don't know why 19 is such a big age for her in Ontario. I don't know, but. Uh, I remember bringing her home and you blink and now you have an adult that's at college and two other sisters that are rapidly approaching that age too. It, it flies. And I was one of those fortunate dads that despite all the challenges that I had and the, the losses and all of that, I always made it a point to at least a couple times a year, go to a field trip, go to an event. Um, and unfortunately, one of the things that bothers me as well is there weren't too many dads there. Yeah. So all of a sudden, I'm getting all this attention. And I'm like, this is weird. Why? And I looked around I'm like, wait a minute. I'm the only male here other than the students. Like this, that bothers me it, 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 because your children are only kids for so long. So uh, my parents made it a point to be at those events and I wanted to do the same thing for my kids. So it, it's just uh, all, the, the theme of breakfast leadership is one to really help leaders focus and narrow down what they should be doing, and what they shouldn't be doing. The breakfast side of things is I find a lot of leaders will actually have time first thing in the morning. It's a time for some reason they tend to allocate and is protected for them to do things. So again, it's an opportunity for them to get something really quick, whether it's the podcast or blog post or the other content, other content that I produce. Uh, But again, the reason why I started is just because I saw too many people going down the same path I did it. And I'm like, I can't allow this to happen. I have to do something. Well, I think it's admirable that you are because I totally agree as a father myself, you know, it's so important to get out there and, and support, uh, you know, our our youth because mm-hmm. a lot of times they don't feel supported. I want to talk to you about exercise because I know that since you had the heart attack, you mm-hmm. kind of changed your life. What do you do in your life for exercise, Michael? Uh, for exercise, I'm very thankful and I have zero excuse. I live in a condo building and there is a gym in the condo. I cannot use snow or my car won't start or anything like that as an excuse. It's in my building. I hit the elevator button. I go down. I walk. There it is. Uh, there's zero excuse on that. Uh, so I tend to do um, treadmill a lot of work, the bike, um, the weights I'm starting to introduce this year a little bit to build up some muscle mass to help with metabolism. I have lost a lot of weight since uh, my heart attack. I still have some to go. Um, 
um, as as we all know, as we get older, um, the ability to lose weight and actually keep it off um, is harder. It's still doable, though. Um, it's, it's a little bit harder battle, but I look at it, it's like, well, I've been through what I've been through, so I can get through this as well. For me, a lot of people go, oh, I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to do this. I had a conversation yesterday with somebody and I, I told them, even though it's you know cold in the winter and all of that, it's like when you go somewhere, park in the back part of the parking lot and just walk a little bit further. Uh, if you're older, like my parents, for example, it's like go to the mall and walk around the mall a few times. You'll get your 10,000 steps and just be active. Um, think about things, get up and move around. I'm thankful, although I'm not standing right now, I have a standing desk at my office. So that is something that um, I invested in three years ago. And it's great because it helps me. And especially if you're a cardiac patient, you're not supposed to be sitting down. Actually, no one should be sitting down for a long period of time. So it's good to move around. So little actions like that go a long way. I'm not, I'm not saying go, you know, get that, you know, hundred dollar a month gym membership and go crazy unless you want to. But if you do, um, one, definitely get medical advice and two, uh, find yourself a decent trainer so you don't hurt yourself. Because if you hurt yourself, you're not going to be able to exercise at all because you're going to be recovering from an injury. Yeah, that's for sure. And what about meditation? Is that part of your life, Michael? It definitely is. And um, actually, the exercise is definitely one of those areas where meditation can come in. Um, I will put in oftentimes on the treadmill, um, I'll put in my earbuds. Sometimes I'll listen to music, but sometimes the earbuds are in there just to add additional silence. Um, or I'll listen to some soothing music without lyrics and just focus on my day. Where exercise really helps me is it prepares me for whatever my day is going to have. Um, working in my day job in the healthcare world, there's always things that pop up, um, whether it's government uh, changes, because there's a lot of changes in the Ontario healthcare system that are unfolding. So there's a lot of, I don't want to say uncertainty, but there's some areas that we don't quite know how things are going to fall out yet. Uh, so before that would have stressed me out. Uh, if I had any here, I would be pulling it out, but now it doesn't. I understand that these things are going to take time. They're going to have to go through a lot of discussions and what will happen will happen and we'll deal with it then. Um, from a mindfulness standpoint, um, the, the bed is probably one of the best places for me, whether it's in the morning before I wake up, you know, the alarm will go off and I'll, I'll usually lay there. I'll hit the snooze button uh, on my phone. I know you're not supposed to have your phone in there, but I do. Uh, but I, you know, it'll snooze for nine minutes. So I'll take those nine minutes and I'll just focus on my breathing. I'll focus on how my body's feeling. Uh, I will think about things that I want to accomplish this particular day. If there's anything that's stressful about it, is there a way that I could approach it differently or would it make sense for me to do that a different day and, and whatnot. And in the evenings, I'll do the same thing where I'll just, I'll, I'll relax, you know, turn off the technology uh, focus on my breathing a little bit, feel how I'm feeling, kind of take inventory of how my day went as far as how my body is feeling, not not regurgitate, okay, I had this meeting with somebody or I didn't like this conversation or that email was rude or how come that client didn't call back, all those, I don't, that I don't think about at all. It's like, okay, how is my body feeling today? How did 
I treat myself today? How, you know, how am I feeling? Am I sore anywhere? And just focus on those things and, and just keep tabs on that. Thankfully, because I've been doing this, um, my uh, ability or I guess the way for me to prevent me getting coughs and colds and flu and all of that has dramatically decreased. As a child, I was sick a lot. I had a lot of coughs and colds, seasonal allergies, you name it. So when I went into the healthcare field, my mom asked me if I was nuts. She said, you're going into a place with sick people. You constantly get sick. You know, what are you doing? And I said, no, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And for the most part, maybe one or two times every other year, I might come down with something. But you know, it's because of the changes that I've made and the approaches that I take and resting and getting proper sleep and really keeping tabs on my body um, has helped tremendously. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. As we move toward the end of the interview, Michael, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness? Uh, Leo, and I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Babuta. Um, and in the show notes, we can put the proper question. Um, he has a blog, uh, it's called Zen Habits. I picked up on that a long time ago, actually long before my heart attack in the 369 days. Um, I wish I would have paid a little bit more attention to it uh, back then. I potentially could have avoided those things. But then I also look at that as saying, if I didn't have the heart attack and those losses, one, would I be here today? Would I be doing the things that I'm doing uh, or would I be on the same path that I was before? Um, I, I strongly feel that um, it needed to happen to really wake me up and focus on things. Right. Well, it's interesting that you you mentioned that because my next question is, how has mindfulness affected your emotions? It has helped me keep my emotions in check. I'm passionate. Um, healthcare, I'm passionate about people taking better care of themselves. I'm passionate about the healthcare sector and what it needs to do to better serve the entire community and not just pockets of it. Um, and I'm very passionate about, you know, wrongs that we see in society, but I keep them in check now because I know that I can only do so much so I can do what I can do, and I have to let others do what they can do. Right. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Breathing is extremely important to me. I am an asthmatic, so my breaths are a little bit more challenging than others. Um, it's mild, but it's something that I know could progress into COPD down the road. And for me, I take care of my breathing very carefully. I focus on it. When things are tense, I pause and I go, okay, what's my breathing patterns like? And I can take a deep breath. I can, and sometimes I'll do the, the nostril thing where you close the nostril, breathe in, do that. Just really focus on the breathing and it, it lowers my blood pressure and it just puts me into a moment of awareness and in the moment of now instead of worrying about what's going to happen or freaking out or what happened before. It's, it's a good way to really get me connected to where I am right at this moment. Right. Michael, your book, 
369 Days, How to Survive a Year of Worst Case Scenarios is terrific. But I want to ask you if you have any other books related to mindfulness that you would recommend. Um, I, I And I was thinking about this um, earlier, and this is going to be kind of off the wall a little bit. Um, it's a leadership book, and some people that will even question me asking that. But it also helps with mindfulness, too, as far as focusing on what's important. Uh, the tortoise and the hare. Okay. Uh, from a leadership book standpoint, it's a great book because oftentimes we are the rabbit and we're running around trying to get things done and moving things around where the tortoise is just steady as we go. Let's get through this. Same thing from a mindfulness standpoint. Um, our brains and minds and activities are all over the place where the turtle's going step, 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 step. And the turtle wins the race. And mm -hmm. I want all of us to win the race. So it's it's one of those books that I will read from time to time to really reconnect with myself. So that's I know it's out of you know out of the woods a little bit on, on that, but that's definitely one book that I, I, I go to from time to time. Interesting. Well, you do strike me as that kind of person. Like I said before, you're steady, you're consistent, you just keep mm -hmm. moving forward. Can you can you share an app? which helps with mindfulness in your life? I've been playing around with um, the app. It's called Calm. Um, mm -hmm. And I think part of it, and sometimes with apps is if you're, especially if there's a voice uh, for me, I think that's a big factor. There are certain voices that people find more calming than others. And then the, um, the woman that's on that particular app, I don't know what her name is. I should probably look that up, but she has a voice that is very calming and able for me to connect um, and just really focus on my breathing and relaxation and to the point where um, your legs aren't numb, but they are about as relaxed as you can possibly get in your whole body. It's, it's, it's the equivalent of getting a full night of the greatest sleep you've had in years. And it, it, it's done wonders for me. Right. Well, it's wonderful what you've done for others with your breakfast leadership, with your podcast, you know, as you continue to inspire others. Michael, how can we learn even more about what you do and possibly connect with you? Sure. Um, you can easily go to breakfastleadership.com and there's a, a little box at the bottom where you can send me a note. And for all of the guests uh, for this uh, wonderful podcast show, um, if they go to breakfastleadership.com slash Bruce, um, they can get a free PDF copy of my book, 369 Days. Um, it's it, it's a quick read, uh, as you probably know, but uh, for me, it's, it's a good way to help people that are going through various struggles in life to realize that, yes, there's a way out of it. Yes, there's hope and there's a better approach on how you face challenges day after day breakfastleadership.com slash Bruce. Well, thank you very much for that. That's fantastic. My pleasure. Yeah. So yeah, I highly recommend the book. It was a lot of fun to read. Like you said, a quick read, an easy mm -hmm. read, but it really took me into your life and your point of view and how you get through some of these major challenges that any of us can have in our lives. Yeah, yeah it, was sure. a, it was a pleasure to to write the book. Um, I'm, I'm very thankful. And, and I know a lot of authors wish their book was a little bit different or did this or did that. But um, when I finished reading the final product, I, I closed the last page and I, I nodded and I said, I am I'm very, very happy with how this turned out. 
Great, great. Well, I'm thrilled to have had you on the show, and I want to thank you once again and uh, wish you all the best, Michael. Thank you, Bruce. I love being on the show, and all the best to you. Okay. Bye now. Cheers. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or episode number into the search bar. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen. Maybe it's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever. Hit subscribe and share. Subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Subscribe and share, share, share. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.